Welcome to Shear Jashub, brought to you by the Church Fellowship of Shear Jashub Christian Tabernacle of Madison, Connecticut, and featuring the teaching ministry of Pastor Greg Scalzo. Hi, I'm Patty Scalzo, and today we will be continuing with the in-depth Through the Bible series entitled Heavenly Authority. So let's join my husband, Pastor Greg, as he begins the Sunday Sermon. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 33, Jesus said, Again you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your own head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. In the last sermon, we were in 1 Samuel. In chapter 14, we saw how God used the faith of Jonathan and his young armor bearer to bring a victory in the Philistine camp. How the Lord sent an earthquake and how he threw the people into chaos. And how Saul, the first king of Israel, having initially decided to consult the Lord, stopped the priests from using the Urim and the Thummim, told them to withdraw their hand, assembled the people, and went into the battle. Also how the Hebrews who had hidden or who had been traitorous and turned toward the Philistines now came back and joined the force of Saul to join the battle as they saw victory in the hands of Israel. And the Lord saved Israel that day, and the Philistines started to move to the west, back toward their homeland, as the battle shifted to Beth-Avon from Michmash. And then we ended off with the rash oath of Saul. I just read from the Sermon on the Mount how the Lord Jesus told us not to take oaths, to let our yes be yes and our no, no, and how more than this comes from the evil one. And we saw it last time in the case of Saul, how his oath, cursed is the man who eats any food until evening, before I have taken vengeance on my enemies. How that oath placed his people under an impossible burden. It was not based upon knowledge. He had not consulted God. So he didn't know what Jonathan had done. And there was no way to let Jonathan know about his curse. How it was based upon pride. He says, before I have taken vengeance on my enemies. And the focus on himself, how the power had corrupted him. And had led him from a humble man to an arrogant, prideful disobedient king we're starting to see here now. He is not being the servant of all. He is not being humble like a little child. 
He is not considering himself the unprofitable servant whose king is God. Rather, he's being contaminated and corrupted by power. And he tries to add in a fleshly way to the victory that God is winning himself. He's not just going about the battle for the Lord, but he places a new criteria, something in addition to what God has done. He's making this vow that the people will eat no food when the vow is not necessary for God. It's not based on knowledge, and it's a type of false religion that tries to add to the things of God and tries to bring about a victory by our own fleshly human efforts rather than by the power of God. And so doing, he's bringing down a curse upon his own family. And we see what happens. We pick up in chapter 14. At the end of verse 24, it says, So none of the people tasted food. They're afraid because of the oath. And in verse 25, Now all the people of the land came to a forest, and there was honey on the ground. And when the people had come into the woods, there was the honey dripping, but no one put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. Remember the insurmountable odds that faced the Israelites with the vast number of Philistines, the superior weapons. The Israelites, the Hebrews, had no swords or spears. How God takes two men climbing uphill to start a chain reaction, to turn the Philistine men against each other. All that power comes to nothing. Where is this honey coming from? When the people came into the woods, there was the honey dripping. It's all over the place. The honey's coming from God. God is even providing here. He's amplifying nature. It's a miracle. It's really a miraculous provision for the people to take the honey, to feed themselves, to be strong against an enemy who's becoming very weak. You see what religion does that prideful fleshly nature to add to what God has done, to say, well, now I'm going to make this stipulation or this vow or this oath or this religious observance. It takes away from the truly miraculous, the true provision of God. Saul did not have the knowledge of God. Perhaps if he had let the Levites, the priests, keep their hands on the holy things, present themselves before the ark, keep the ephod on, not withdraw their hand, the Lord would have told him how he was making provision that day for the people to be strengthened. But Saul is ignorant, he's prideful, and he, in effect, works against God and what they should have eaten to help them, no one put the food to his mouth for the people feared the oath. And rightly so. God tells them to observe their oaths. We just read how Jesus said, you heard how it was said. Every careless word we have to give account for. Saul started something against the Lord in the heavenly realms. Verse 27, but Jonathan, now he's all the way in the battlefield, right? He's all the way in the front. Had not heard his father charge the people with the oath. Therefore, he stretched out the end of the rod that was in his hand and dipped it in a honeycomb 
and put his hand to his mouth and his countenance, his, his eyes, his ability brightened and invigorated him the way God meant it to. The perfect will of God, the perfect plan of God. Then one of the people said, your father strictly charged the people with an oath saying, curse is the man who eats food this day. And the people were faint. So someone comes along and tells Jonathan what Saul has done. And the people are exhausted. They're weak. In verse 29, but Jonathan said, my father has troubled the land. Look now how my countenance has brightened because I tasted a little of this honey. How much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies, which they found. For now, would there not have been a much greater slaughter among the Philistines? What a victory we would have had if they just were allowed to eat. God has given provision. My father has troubled the land. Now, it sounds very religious. Curse is the man who eats any food until evening before I have taken vengeance on my enemies. It sounds very holy. It sounds like you're doing something for God. We will not eat until we win this battle. And sometimes false religion sounds very holy. It sounds like you're doing something, but it's nonsense. It's not what God wants. And really, it troubles the land because it makes the people famished. God wants his people fed with the right things. And by taking such a foolish vow, by substituting all these other things to do, the people become, here they are physically starved. I say in Christian churches over many centuries, the people have been spiritually starved because they're so busy trying to observe things given by men which have really just troubled the land. This is a warning to those in leadership, to those in Christian leadership not to try to add to what god is doing doesn't mean we don't work faith without work is dead but the work is the righteous work of god jonathan's in the battle jonathan's been doing the work based upon faith in god all the other stuff is nonsense saul has brought trouble upon the land and the end result is in all that observance and trying so hard not to eat, he's working against the true work of God. And the people are hungry and they're starving. Look how my countenance has changed, how it's brightened. He's troubled the land. And I tasted a little honey, Jonathan says in verse 29. Verse 30, how much better if the people had eaten freely today. For now, would there not have been a much greater slaughter among the Philistines? Verse 31, Now they had driven back the Philistines that day from Michmash to Ajalon. So the people were very faint. Ajalon, they drive them even further west. What's going on? They're bringing them back. They're pushing them back to the coastline. They're pushing them back to where the Philistines come from, from the Philistine cities. Verse 32, and the people rushed on the spoil and took sheep, oxen, and calves and slaughtered them on the ground, and the people ate them 
with the blood. So they're so hungry. You see what happens when you set up a false parameter, a false cannon, a false measuring rod? We'll have to break from the sermon at this point. We believe these Bible study programs are of great value, as the scriptures tell us that the Lord's people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. And so we would love to hear your comments and feedback. You can write to us at our post office box in Branford, Connecticut. That's Shear Jashub, S H E A R hyphen. J-A-S-H-U-B P.O. Box 518 Branford, Connecticut 06405 And if the Lord puts it on your heart, please consider sending a donation to help continue this program on your station. All donations should be made out to Shi'ar Jashub Christian Tabernacle. Shi'ar Jashub Christian Tabernacle meets every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. in Madison, Connecticut, in the upper room of the Memorial Hall on Meeting House Lane. If you would like to join us for Bible study, worship, communion, and prayer, take I-95 to exit 61 in Madison. Go south to Route 1 and turn right at the next light. The Memorial Hall is the yellow brick and white building adjacent to the green, across from the James Madison Memorial. May our Lord Jesus bless you as you serve him. And please remember to join us next time for Shi'ar Jashub.